This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon on this beautiful Friday afternoon. Uh, hope you're all doing well and that you are able to enjoy some downtime now this coming weekend. Well, we've seen and heard some of the news and information resulting in the signing of a new Canada-German hydrogen alliance in Stephenville this week. The major international event put the spotlight on Stephenville and some of the ongoing plans to develop wind farms and hydrogen production facilities on the southwest coast. The plan is to start shipping hydrogen to Germany from Newfoundland in 2020. Well, here to discuss more about hydrogen, wind energy, the green economy, and other developments from this historic gathering of German politicians and industry leaders in Canada is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. Hello, Larry. Hello, how are you today? Great. So I guess we'll start with the basics. What exactly is hydrogen? So hydrogen is an element, and uh, when combined with oxygen, you get water. And hydrogen is highly flammable, has a lot of energy in it, and this grand quest that uh, the world is on is to find some source of energy that does not involve uh, burning um, uh, carbon, essentially, or releasing carbon into the atmosphere. So if you think of it in terms of oil, oil is a hydrocarbon. Um, as opposed to, you know, the, the bread that we eat, which is a carbohydrate, but all of it provides energy. The hydrocarbon has a lot of carbon in it. When you heat it, it releases carbon into the atmosphere, and that causes a problem, whereas burning hydrogen um, produces water. So what are its uses? Uh, pretty much it can be used for many, many things, but basically it, it's being sought by the Germans um, and other people around the world, but primarily by the Germans because they're really caught in a, in a terrible situation um, because uh, they've been using natural gas, which um, has um, you know hydrogen in it and has carbon in it, but less carbon than, than bunker sea oil, for example. Uh, but they've been importing uh, natural gas from um, Russia. Russia is um, in the war with Ukraine, and Germany is trying to get off that supply. So um, pretty much the same kind of work that you're doing with um, natural gas you can do with hydrogen, although not 100% uh, because natural gas is also used for petrochemical industry. Um, so, But we can get close with hydrogen and uh, it being uh, considered to be a very clean resource, uh, it can be used again uh, for heating um, and companies like Toyota are actually building fuel cells that you can run automobiles on. So whereas, um, you know, Elon Musk and Tesla are using large batteries that take a while to recharge once they run down, uh, Toyota is using something called a fuel cell that you would pull up to a hydrogen gas station, plug in your um, uh, gas tank for hydrogen instead of for gasoline, fuel up faster, and away you go. And you can see that that would really work well for things like airplanes. It's really hard to fly with an electric airplane unless we have dramatic changes in battery technology or a really long extension cord. <laughs> Indeed. 
<laughs> really long one. Uh, so, uh, but as you pointed out, hydrogen extremely flammable, as was witnessed by the Hindenburg disaster. That was filled with hydrogen. Uh, of course, the, that massive yes. airship burned up in just seconds. We've all seen the the video uh, or the film. Is that what has prevented uh, hydrogen's widespread use? Uh, to some some degree, but, but um, you know, you may have heard as part of that that whole. Um, development on the West Coast, the discussion of ammonia. So um, if you take hydrogen, pure hydrogen, and you add nitrogen to it, you get um, ammonia. And ammonia is way more stable than pure hydrogen. And then that allows it to be shipped uh, quite safely. And um, the benefit, the other benefit of shipping ammonia from uh, the west coast of, of uh, Newfoundland over to Germany is that German industry would like to have the nitrogen because, uh, again, one of the chemicals that was uh, um, developed from natural gas coming from uh, Russia was uh, that you take the nitrogen, you turn it into fertilizer. So there's a double benefit in uh, using ammonia rather than shipping pure hydrogen. Now, again, it, it, it's in, we're all in early stages for how um, hydrogen is going to be incorporated into the world economy. Uh, there are, is research being done on using an ammonia-based uh, fuel cell rather than a pure hydrogen-based uh, fuel cell. Um, and, you know, you may have heard of a shipment of hydrogen that was one of the first in the world that went uh, from Australia to Japan there in January of this year. And that was um, one that was compressed. Um, you know, they brought the temperature uh, down to, I think it's minus 241, uh, um, well below zero, and uh, shipped it uh, on a traditional ship, which means they actually use diesel fuel in order to ship the the the, uh, the hydrogen, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So the hydrogen was actually adapted from coal. So, you know, everyone's in early stages of this, but uh, the potential is to use um, ammonia rather uh, to ship it and potentially use ammonia as the final product that you would uh, put in your gas tank uh, at some point in the future. So is that what's prevented us from um, using hydrogen more wide, uh, on a more widespread basis? Is it because gas has and diesel have been traditionally cheaper and easier to access? Oh, heavens, yes. I mean, the, the cost of producing hydrogen is very, very high. Uh, basically, what one needs is sounds pretty simple. You need, you need um, access to water, and then you essentially have a, a, a cable on one end um, uh, and a cable on the other end and water between it. And, and you can do this literally at home if you want to uh, sit down and do it. You need a direct current such as uh, is coming out, out of a um, wind turbine. And um, you, you immerse these two uh, cables into the water, uh, bare ends, um, so remove the insulation from it, uh, run the current through it, and on one side of the, uh, um, on one side of the cable, you'll get um, oxygen bubbling up from the water, and on the other side, you get hydrogen. So it's, but it's the power to, to go into this that's been the cost. Where do you get relatively cheap, uh, large amounts of power to be able to crack uh, water in order to uh, produce the hydrogen? And then once that you do that, then um, you extract nitrogen from the air, which is relatively simple because air is 78% uh, nitrogen. Um, it's why the sky is blue is because that's the color of nitrogen gas. 
um, and then you make ammonia from that. But you need the electrical power system to do it. And that's where the wind power comes in. Um, We'll touch on that now when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And our guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private wealth in St. John's. We're talking about hydrogen and some of the announcements that were made over the last few days coming out of Stephenville and that historic agreement between Canada and Germany. And uh, Larry, there are a number of elements here, pardon the pun. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about hydrogen, we're talking about electricity, and we're talking about ammonia. And of course, as you indicated, this requires a lot of electricity, hence the need for these windmills, these uh, uh, wind stations. Yes. Yes. So, so the um, it makes little sense if you're burning, um, you know, hydrocarbons in order to create hydrogen, uh, in order to lower carbon uh, footprint. So, uh, hence the the move towards uh, using wind turbines and the fact that the province of Newfoundland Labrador has some of the best wind on the planet, so to speak. Um, <laughs> uh, but. It- why couldn't we just plug into, uh, you know, the grid? Because we're getting, ostensibly, we'll be getting all of our electricity now from um, Muskrat Falls. Yes. So the whole question is whether or not there's any electricity left over. Um, and my understanding is that pretty much most of it um, has been um, allocated. And uh, meaning that, you know, initially the thought was that we were going to be able to export uh, electricity uh, through the maritime link and going to the United States and uh, tap that market. And that's pretty much been shut down for a, for a number of reasons. Uh, but, uh, you know, anybody who's listening, please correct me on Twitter or otherwise, but there simply is not enough electricity uh, available um, currently to be able to uh, meet that, that, uh, that goal. So this is going to require quite a bit of uh, wind energy, as you said, and these wind turbines, they do take up a space. They do have a footprint. Um, I understand there's a number of uh, different um, uh, developments that are being planned in that general region. Uh, yes. Um, I, again, not just there, but also over Argentua, there's been a talk of nothing officially announced that, that we've seen. But in each case, I mean, the, the development that uh, John Risley and company are talking about is something in the order of 12 to $14 billion U.S., um, which, you know, that's big money. Um, so so uh, and, and part of that is the fact that you do literally get benefits of scale. But once you start to build this sort of thing, you get spinoffs. With wind turbines, sorry, bad pun there. But you do get other industries that start to develop around it. You get an expertise developed within the province, uh, an engineering expertise as to how to handle it. You get shipping facilities that that are uh, put together. So it, it tends to uh, attract more than the single industry um, that uh, one project would would. Uh, um, would cause to arise. So, for example, uh, Norm Mercer, who's uh, he's a head of the Prospectors Association, so these are the guys out looking for copper, nickel, zinc, and the like, he's uh, made a statement that um, a deal like this that's been signed with Volkswagen and Mercedes and the, um, the Grand Pumas, those companies were there uh, last week, <clears throat> that opens the door for battery manufacturing plants to be uh, put together within the province as well, which means then that 
uh, it makes copper, uh, mining, uh, cobalt, nickel, all the great rocks that we have on top of the great wind that we have, makes uh, those mines much more feasible. So there's a huge potential spin spin off here all around. So how do we get on the radar here? Uh, I think it was a combination of things. I think it was, you know, there's been talk in our community, in the business community, for many years. There have been a number of projects that have been looked at and uh, business cases uh, put together to say, yeah, there's a, the, this is, we do have this resource. We do have, we did a lot of research over the years saying where the best winds are, what are the best designs, et cetera. Um, and then suddenly the war in uh, Ukraine changed the world because the price of energy skyrocketed and it doesn't look like that price of energy is gonna be coming down anytime soon. Just to give you an idea, uh, again, going back to Germany, when they use natural gas, they use it for heating, et cetera, and uh, in their homes, and as well as electrical generation. And uh, so they're currently paying the equivalent of about 40 cents per kilowatt hour. That was up to yesterday. And remember, in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, we're very upset when we're paying 12 cents a, a, a kilowatt hour. So the price has gone up quite significantly in all of Europe. And this is before winter shows up. So you can see that uh, the movement towards green energy to begin with, capped with shortage that is uh, caused because of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, uh, suddenly caused the price of energy to surge. And that means that business plans that in the past were not feasible suddenly became feasible. So it is, it is a, a worldwide effort in order to get off of carbon combined with the fact that uh, carbon-based uh, energy prices have surged so high. And why Newfoundland specifically? Because, you know, I know we're a strategic place, North America, Europe over that way, uh, deep sea ports, lots of wind. Uh, but one would think that there must be uh, resources closer to Germany that could provide that. I'm thinking in terms of Scandinavia, for instance. Yeah, no, <laughs> just a simple answer. Uh, so a couple of things. One is that Germany currently has uh, very rough numbers. Half of 1% of its land, uh, the total land in Germany, is uh, devoted to wind farms. They could probably squeeze uh, out to make it 0.8 of 1%, but you could, they're pretty close to getting to their top limit, whereas the province of Newfoundland and Labrador has immense amount of resources. Uh, we have all the things that you just talked about, including uh, close proximity uh, to to Europe uh, and the United States. Um, the, the North American Free Trade Agreement helps um, uh, tax-wise. I mean, there's a whole series of benefits. It's, it's one of those things where, once again, we've been uh, blessed by geography, uh, as long as we don't uh, you know, mess it up in the actual translation into turning it into an industry. Um, but as well, it's not just Newfoundland and Labrador. I mean, the U.S. and Australia in particular um, are trying to get into this market quite uh, heavily and quite quickly. Um, it's just that we seem to have struck a nerve um, with the German people quite quickly. And um, the efforts that have been put forward um, by Canada uh, is now starting to pay off. And some people have questioned, you know, why on land as opposed to at sea? I think there's uh, plans for a big offshore uh, wind farm in the United States on the eastern seaboard there. So why not um, on the water? Yeah, so I attended a presentation, I'm trying to think of when it was, I think it was May, that looked at offshore 
uh, wind in Newfoundland and Labrador versus onshore, normally there's a big difference. There isn't any. <laughs> so normally you get more wind offshore uh, than you do onshore. But the geography, again, the winds in this province, we all know, just continue to blow. I mean, the, the joke that I had with uh, mainland uh, friends over the years was, why don't you like wind energy? And they say, well, it blows intermittently. And I said, yeah, I've never visited Newfoundland and Labrador because it's constant here. So there's no advantage in going offshore Newfoundland, and certainly not with um, you know, the um, uh, heavy seas that we have off our coast. It is much better to be stable and onshore. I was talking, I had a, a guest on the show the, uh, there not too long ago, earlier in the summer, about golf, and he was talking about the Americans uh, complaining about, you know, winds gusting to 30. <laughs> gusting yeah, to 30. So it, <laughs> yeah, so Newfoundland, the only way you, you, you cannot play golf without being a sailor. You have to learn how to tack you know, a golf ball. And, uh, and that's just the statement about the fact that the winds blow constantly here. I want to ask you more about the ammonia side of things when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Our guest today is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. And the ammonia, of course, will be needed to ship the hydrogen, as you previously um, mentioned, Larry. But how is ammonia produced? Oh, uh, so uh, literally, um, you know, better living through chemical chemistry is that uh, you extract nitrogen from the air, as we were, as we were saying, that in, uh, air is roughly 78% nitrogen. So you have a readily available access to nitrogen in what you're breathing around you. Um, so it isn't a huge process. I mean, uh, if you go the other way, um, many years ago, you know, some people were wondering, for example, why was Bayer... Um, which we know from aspirants, uh, but why was the president of Bear uh, Company over in Stephenville? And the reason why is that Bear, being a German company, um, doesn't do just aspirants. It is a major uh, chemical producer. So there, many, many years ago, I think it was, um, I'm trying to remember, 1905 or so, um, there was a, a process invented by a chap by the name of Haber, and then a guy by the name of Bosch got involved, both Germans, um, on uh, cooling air to extract nitrogen in order to make fertilizer. So that process has been the, the way that most fertilizer around the world has been produced. The second methodology is that you can extract it from natural gas. Um, so the, the whole um, uh, methodology for how to add uh, nitrogen to hydrogen, and you end up with uh, the geeks out there, it's uh, NH3, uh, three hydrogen um, uh, elements to one nitrogen, then uh, that is ammonia. So that's a relatively simple process. And then once you send it over to Germany, they can uh, release the nitrogen, get at the hydrogen if they choose to do so, or take the whole of ammonia and turn it into fertilizer over that way. So can ammonia be green? Because, I mean, anybody who's ever been in contact with ammonia or knows anything about it, it can be pretty caustic. You can't breathe around that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. So on its own, I mean, pure ammonia is deadly. Same way that pure gasoline is deadly. 
uh, same way that you know uh, natural gas is highly explosive. So all of these things require proper handling. Um, so it's not necessarily that the the final product, whether it does go into uh, a fuel cell automobile or in the ground in order to uh, be fertilizer. I mean, it obviously has to be diluted, added to other chemicals in order to maximize its the the benefit to the soil or uh, to the solar uh, to the um, uh, fuel cell. Um, but in its raw form, yeah, it's it can it's really can be incredibly dangerous. So is this a game changer? Changer, sorry. Um, it's it's an it's an it's a game changer to the province if indeed this thing goes through. And and I have to tell you, I'm still skeptical on a number of sides. What I find uh, delightful to hear so far is that there's no government subsidy going into it. There's nobody out there saying we need 5.6 billion dollars to build a uh, project that currently looks like it's going to be 12 to 14 billion U.S., which you know, 18 billion Canadian to do so. So as long as that there's no um, uh, citizen uh, subsidies going into it, then that's I think is a huge plus. It's all private money. So generally speaking, whenever private money goes chasing after a a particular project, uh, it means it's feasible on its own. Um, so that's, to me, very, very favorable. The difficulty with it, though, is that it requires 24 different government agencies, federally and provincially, in order to get approval done, and they're trying to get this done in two years. So, you know, we're looking really, that's really, really fast. Now, mind you, uh, back in, uh, I think it was June, uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, who's the minister, the federal minister of natural resources, was in the province speaking at the Board of Trade, and I asked him, you know, that, you know, I, ta- I talked to him, I asked him a question, I said, how can, how can you want to move forward with critical minerals uh, as well as other developments if it takes eight to 10 years just to get these things in production? And he made the statement that he said, no, we're getting pressure now to get this stuff done within five years. So even two is pushing it a lot. But if it is the government's priority, both provincially and federally, to actually get this project done, um, and that they can they can get this done while maintaining strict environmental standards, and and that sounds like it's almost altruistic. But just on a selfish point of view, or that is from a project point of view, from uh, the investors' point of view, uh, you never want to have uh, loose environmental standards because if you do, then a lawsuit can arise. And once that the lawyers get involved, projects like this. I get delayed for 12, 15, 16 years. Yeah. So you want to be have it done right the first time, um, both ethically and because um, of the potential for lawsuits if you don't do it right. You had to have the uh, check boxes done by 24 different agencies. That's going to be quite a leap to be able to get this thing done. But if it can be done without government subsidies, et cetera, yeah, this is a real game changer for the province. Is 2025 way too ambitious? I mean, uh, all of those wind turbines have to be uh, manufactured. They have to be erected. uh, They have to be uh, connected to the production facility. The production facility needs to be built. The infrastructure, I'm sure, at the port will have to be addressed in some way. I mean, that seems like an extraordinary amount of work. I'm not uh, worried at all about the engineering side. It is the uh, permitting uh, process that that is the concern. And what kind of opportunities are there? I mean, this is your area of expertise now, but what kind of opportunities are out there in terms of investment in green energy? Oh, heavens. So if somebody walked in the door uh, tomorrow with uh, a traditional oil uh, project, um, we would have a huge problem 
raising any capital for them. Um, but there is an absolute wall of money looking for uh, green projects in some form. Um, the, the other green one that we haven't talked about, by the way, is uh, LNG Newfoundland, which is, um, just to give you an illustration, that's uh, liquefied natural gas, that uh, project that is estimated to be about a $10 billion project, which taps the natural gas that uh, was found from Hibernia and the other uh, oil uh, drilling that happened off the coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. So that one, um, again, the natural gas is not going to disappear because there are other uses for it that, uh, other than what hydrogen is going to displace, uh, particularly in the petrochemical side. So there's still going to be a demand for natural gas. And uh, during the meetings that were held in uh, Toronto, as well as Stephenville, there were representatives of LNG Newfoundland Labrador there. So that project still is uh, out there because it is uh, appealing to those individuals who want a greener natural gas. And again, the uh, money that is looking for opportunities like that, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of investment money from around the world looking for that opportunity. I noticed you said greener natural gas, but is natural gas actually green? So again, uh, within natural gas, there's a carbon element. Um, the proposal that LNG has uh, put in place is to use a pipeline to capture the gas that's already been found in these uh, wells, bring it on shore, um, cool it uh, down and put it into uh, carriers using wind energy, um, uh, the same way that using wind energy on the west coast of the island to make hydrogen, as well as uh, use a pipe to, uh, so, so uh, understand the pipeline comes from the offshore, but you can also send a pipe back to those wells and uh, extract the um, a lot of the carbon out of the natural gas and then sequester that back into the very wells that you just emptied. So it is, a, again, another ambitious proposal, um, but it's one that the uh, German government de definitely expressed an interest in. If we get this off the ground, so to speak, uh, in in the time frame uh, that's been uh, outlined, uh, is there a potential for greater development in that regard? Oh, yeah, again, yes. I mean, once you start putting in, uh, you know, $14 billion of investment in any one area, there will be other industries that will be built around it. The same way the $10 billion potential project for the pipeline going into uh, the Placentia Bay area, that will also cause uh, other uh, uh, industries to arise, whether it's battery production or companies that are uh, looking to do uh, petrochemical um uh, production or um, uh, industries such as uh, pharmaceuticals. For example, um, natural gas uh, is the feedstock for a lot of pharmaceutical uh, companies. So that's why Bayer wants to be involved with it. So to, to expect that uh, it would not be unreasonable to see some of those uh, companies from Europe uh, relocate to the province if the opportunity is available. What about some of these other uh, companies that were involved here? Siemens, for instance. Yeah, Siemens is a major producer of uh, wind turbines. So, uh, you know, they want to be in on that deal uh, for such a large purchase. And again, uh, um, John Risley was talking about that this is kind of phase one, so we don't know what other ones are arising from there. But there was also there was another company, I'm trying to remember the name of it, was talking about setting up in... Um, in the Argentia area as well. So more than so, so the supply of turbines is going to be quite 
uh, high potentially for a company uh, such as Siemens and their manufacturing size. Could we see some of these uh, turbines being built here or will they be brought in? Ooh, uh, don't know about that. I mean, the, the Germany is the third largest exporter of uh, in the world, um, and a lot of that literally is driven by the fact that it's had cheap natural gas to be able to to um, do the exact type of pharmaceuticals, et cetera, that we've been talking about, but as well high-end manufacturing such as what uh, Siemens does and or Mercedes, BMW, et cetera, um, Volkswagen, those uh, companies. So whether they choose to locate those uh, plants here uh, will get into questions about skilled labor. I mean, the fact is that, you know, again, the population of this province is only 500,000 people compared to 83 million in Germany, and we already have a shortage of uh, skilled labor and general labor in total. So unless there's going to be a lot of immigration coming in, how would we feel, feel, uh, feel those jobs? But the point being is that there may be um, opportunities in other spin-off industries. We don't know. It's good to to see the start of it. There's, it's, it's nice to know that there is a potential, but there's nothing firm uh, on the books at this time. So no doubt uh, some uh, spin-off benefits for Newfoundland and Labrador, absolutely. But I want to talk to you a little bit about revenue generation when we come back after this, because uh, mm-hmm. Premier Andrew Fury has already uh, dropped a few hints about that when we come back right after the break. My guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. We'll be back right after this. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels, newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. And we're back. Uh, we're uh, Our guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. And we're talking a little bit about the um, plans for hydro development on the southwest coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. And Larry, you mentioned this. It's largely driven, of course, by private interests. And uh, um, you said it's good to see that there's no um, uh, government money going into this. But uh, governments, of course, are uh, interested in revenue. And the premier has already hinted that uh, they could be looking at a a tax or a royalty regime to generate some revenue out of that. How might that work? Uh, There's several possibilities. The simplest one is some sort of a royalty similar to what uh, the oil companies are paying from offshore or the mining companies are paying uh, onshore for the mines that are being developed. Um, Again, uh, early days, so we don't know what the proposals look like uh, and or what the amounts are. But any time that you look at a $14 billion U.S. development in the Stephenville area or a $10 billion development in the Argentia area and add two of them together, there's got to be something coming off of that in some fashion, separate from the investment in uh, jobs and or the um, you know corporate taxes that would arise. Although corporate taxes is never large enough for, you know, we, we'd like to always see more corporate taxes. It tends to be that the spin-off jobs, et cetera, actually contribute more uh, revenue to the province than than anything else. The, you know, when you're looking at things such as uh, even the, the oil developments in the province, the royalty is a big chunk, 
but when you see how how much the actual spending that happens in the community uh, and the uh, the um, sales taxes etc um, that's where the big chunk of revenue uh, comes from of course, uh, Germany, uh, one of the G7 uh, powers in the world, uh, very interested in what we're doing here and uh, and getting the hydrogen from us. Uh, any other countries that might similarly benefit? Um, so I, I, one of the statements that was made by Trudeau is that you know Canada is supporting its allies in Europe. And this is one of when you, you were initially asking why now and why here, the fact that the world is um, breaking into camps all over again, back you know, looking back to the 1950s and 1940s all over again, and unfortunately the 1930s in some cases, where the uh, security of Europe is now being threatened by Russia, and the security of um, Asia is being threatened to a large extent by uh, mainland China. So uh, it would not be unrealistic uh, that. Uh, that uh, North America and Europe would join as one block and be benefiting again, not not just by uh, the hydrogen development and or the natural gas development, but also by the critical mineral development. The U.S. recently passed this, um, uh, they call it the, I think it's fighting the inflation um, um, document uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks. And in there was an incredible amount of money to be spent. And what was specified there was that U.S. companies that bought from the allies, any, any country uh, that uh, had a free trade agreement with the United States, that those uh, companies would receive a tax break as if it was um, bought from a U.S. company. So when we're looking at developments of copper, nickel, zinc within the province itself, this whole movement towards um, ensuring that the allies uh, have security of supply is really important. And that then opens up uh, further potential for development and or uh, favorable taxation for people within the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Just just so, so that you know, the greatest, um, the, the highest price for any metal, whether it's copper, nickel, zinc, or um, uh, cobalt, uh, I think Labrador iron ore, is when um, that iron ore is extracted using something like wind power or hydropower. Um, it, that's becoming very, very important to the investors around the world. And so this kind of sets up the, the whole of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador to be able to harvest uh, minerals and potentially smelt them and potentially do manufacturing within the province using renewable energy. It's interesting. It hits so many points here because we're talking about environmental benefits, presumably, um, geopolitical benefits, as you've just outlined, and, of course, just raw economic benefits because we've seen Elon Musk. He's very interested, of course. He's already visited Voices Bay from what we hear. Um, so is there more, you know, economic and business uh, potential here in, in these different realms? Uh, I've never been so optimistic about the future of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador ever as I have been in this last year. I was really worried about uh, the place for, for a, a good number of years because, you know, quite frankly, we squandered the oil money. There's no just no answers or buts. And the, the mess with Muskrat Falls, that was, again, um, a lack of gray matter being used properly. Uh, let me be polite like that. So... Um, the the fact is that here we've been given another opportunity. We've got we're, we're a batter and just a beautiful slow pitch is coming right over the plate. We just had to have 
um, our ability to be able to hit this properly and to use all of the resources in the province to maximize the benefits to the citizens. So, yeah, it's really looking like the, the stars have aligned for the, for the province. We just have to put proper thought into how to develop this to benefit everybody, including the world, by the way, because it's not, it's not that we're foisting any of this on the world. The world is, in, is demanding um, that carbon be reduced and is demanding that metals be, be mined properly. You know, quite frankly, you know, you, you're, we're using cobalt in uh, automobiles right now, and uh, 80, sorry, 70% of the cobalt in the world comes from the Congo, where they're using child labor. So how does that fit well? And then when it's smelted, it's often smelted using coal. So that does, does, doesn't make sense. Why would? How does it make sense that you're driving around a, a ninety thousand dollar automobile that uses electricity that is uh, the it's built using coal and child labor? That just doesn't make sense. We are one of the few jurisdictions in the world where we can actually do this uh, correctly, ethically, and properly. Larry Short, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much uh, for your insight into a lot of this. I no doubt we'll be talking uh, about this uh, a lot more into the future. Thank you. As always, it's my pleasure. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening this afternoon. Um, a great show, as always. Uh, we have another show planned for Monday to talk about health matters with uh, Tom Osborne, so stay tuned for that.